Oh my fuck, I can't say this. She's involved with the Caramel. Caramel. Okay, I think we can skip that bit. Welcome to another episode of My Favorite Feminist. My name is Megan, and I'm not here with my co-host Milena, who has left me for dead. Okay, just kidding. She's dealing with her apartment finally being unflooded and should be back next episode. And if not, Milena, you're not getting any of Grandma's Christmas cookies this year. Yeah, that's right. Laying down the law. You've been warned. Now, like in our previous mini episode, we're taking the chance to do something a little different. I'm not covering our usual artists and scientists, but instead, everyone's favorite a politician. Okay, for real guys, don't hit next, please. This is a good story. It's a pretty, it's an interesting one. Now, if Milano was here, this would be the bit that I'd ask her, when would she guess that the first woman ran for president here in the United States? I'll give you guys a moment to think, because I would have wagered the late 1960s, early 70s, you know, like coincide with the women's movement. Wrong. Totally wrong. It was 1872. And that's something I'm happy I'm wrong about, but it's also really depressing since we've still had 100% not women as head of this country. Now, the badass we're covering today, Victoria Woodhull, she was the first woman to run for president here in the United States, um, and she was not quiet about calling out bullshit, and she ended up in jail because of that, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, growing up, Victoria's life a little different from the vast majority of people we've covered because hers, complete shit. Okay, maybe not complete shit, but it was a pretty shitty childhood. She was born in 1858 in Ohio, parents who, they were a bit of bastards. Mom was described as an unpleasant old hag and her dad a one-eyed snake oil salesman who posed as a doctor and lawyer. Oh, and he also beat his children. Yeah, real class A asshole. Now, Victoria had five siblings, and she, along with her younger sister, Tennessee, they were made to work as fortune tellers and child preachers in their father's traveling wagon. As you might have guessed, it was by no means the most solid childhood. And eventually, at the age of 15, Victoria was kind of like, screw this, and in 1853, she gets married. Not quite sure if it was her kind of eloping to get away from her family, or they kind of ponder off on someone else, but... Either way, the guy she ended up with, also a bastard. A cheating, drunk, morphine addict of a husband who, like, would legit keep her in rags and schmooze his mistress. Also, another class A asshole, unfortunately. And by the time she divorced him in 1862, she's 26 years old and she's got two kids, the oldest of which has special needs, which, by the way, she totally blamed on his drunk ass. Not quite sure how that works, but still, why not? The fact that she divorced him is a huge deal. I mean, at the moment, divorce rates, it's like 50-50. No big deal one way or another. But at that time, it was less than 1%. It was 0.3 of the population was getting divorced. So there was a lot of social stigma for a divorced woman. I mean, and let alone one with special need kids. That stigma was going strong 100 years after the fact. And Victoria didn't receive a formal education. Um, she might have got a little bit of schooling, but she was pulled out to go on her family sh- show of a family circus. She was pretty savvy, though, and one way for her to get out of her situation post-divorce was 
to marry up. I mean, totally legitimate way of kind of moving on up in the ranks. Uh, so she did just that. So she remarries two years after her divorce. She's 28 years old. It's 1866. And this guy's name, pretty badass, especially since it's a military last name, Colonel Blood. Like, how fucking metal is that? Uh, fought for the Union side, so maybe that. This is where things get interesting. Victoria's husband was a spiritualist and a fairly progressive guy. You know, one who had the wild idea to believe in equal rights and an open sexual self. You know, two things that were very much smothered in the Victorian area. So when Victoria and her sister Tennessee moved to New York to be with the colonel, he supported their education and rights. And Victoria and her sister jumped right into figuring out how to make a better life for their family, which meant totally playing the system. Victoria was street smart. Growing up hustling will, you know, have that effect on you. And her and her sister, they knew a mark when they saw one, and they set their eyes on a Cornelius Vanderbilt, like the Vanderbilt behind the Vanderbilt fortune. Back in the day, spiritualism was all the rage, and the sisters saw that as an opportunity to get close to the richest man in America. Vanderbilt was obsessed with trying to communicate with his dead mother. So the sisters work as spiritualists. They befriend Vanderbilt, and the next thing you know, they're opening the first woman-founded Wall Street brokerage firm in New York City. Like, how the hell does that even happen? And the sisters, like, they might have been treated as a novelty. Okay, okay, they were. They were treated as a novelty. But the money they were making, it was pretty solid. People gawked at the opening of these two young ladies in their very short dresses. I mean, can you imagine? The hemlines only came down to the tops. Of their boots. Oh my goodness. Newspapers are writing about them as these like bewitching broker queens of finance. Like, oh my god, women of finances and Wall Street, can you imagine? But for Victoria and her sister Tennessee, they were smart, they were pretty, and they knew how to leverage that. Now, how personally involved they were in the firm, that's up for speculation. But I mean, either way, these bad bitches were able to take the money from their firm and set up their own feminist newspaper. That launched Victoria into a presidential run. So, I mean, either way, they're not doing too bad. Here in the United States, the push for women's rights really kicked off in 1848 with the Seneca Falls Convention. And Victoria was growing up as that debate was becoming more and more public. And as a young adult, she managed to maneuver away from a position where she could contribute to it. Typical of her character, Victoria did not go about that in a nice ladylike way that the majority of the suffrage movement was playing it. I mean, like, think about it. Her involvement with Vanderbilt, a little questionable, but no one's going to feel sorry if a fraction of Jeff Bezos' money ends up funding an equality campaign. Like, all the more power to ya. So with the leverage of Vanderbilt's funding, Victoria's able to push for change. I mean, with this paper that her and her sister and her husband are all writing together, they published the first English translations of the Communist Manifesto. And Victoria and her family, they're writing the bulk of the newspaper's content. I mean, really just advocating for social reform. Things like equal rights, education, dress reform. I mean, even by today's standards, some would call them like annoyingly progressive because, oh my goodness, they want equal rights for everyone. At the age of 32 in 1870, Victoria takes it a step further and officially announces she's running for president. All the things her and her family have been writing about, Victoria hits the campaign trail and pisses off a lot of people in the process. Technically, 
Victoria was too young to be running for president. You know, here in the United States, you have to be 35. But like, honestly, I don't think she technically gave a shit. What Victoria did care about was pushing for women's rights. And that meant calling out a lot of BS double standards. Like how it was totally chill for a man to cheat on his wife, but the end of the world if a woman did that. And Victoria wanted to recognize people that like women were sexual. No big deal about that. You know, essentially we're sexual slaves to these social contracts. And she wanted to unfuck that in the best way possible. It sucks that a concept like that was met with really fierce opposition. And I mean, it still is. But Victoria was a captivating speaker. Thousands would attend her speeches. And she would advocate for really common sense things like suffrage and workers' rights and better public education. You know, these things that we're still working on 148 years later. In 1871, she became the first woman to testify before a congressional committee arguing that the 14th and 15th Amendment already granted women the right to vote, but Congress just needed to get off their ass and enforce it. Susan B. Anthony, the head honcho of the National Women's Suffrage Association, she heard her speech and was like, hey, can you come and give that same argument at our big conference tonight? Which Victoria totally did. And that was a big deal since Victoria and a lot of the other leaders in the suffrage movement were not exactly chumming with one another. I mean, for their part, they were like, Yes, we are ladies, and ladies can vote. And, you know, like, playing to their respectability, while Victoria was like, I'll fuck whoever I want, and fuck you for slut-shaming me. It was a little off-putting to them. But Victoria did have backing, and she earned the official presidential nomination from the Equal Rights Party in 1872. And that pit her against Republican Ulysses S. Grant. Spoiler, she lost. But, I mean, by the way, she had a complete badass of a running mate, Frederick Douglass. Okay, technically debatable his involvement with that candidacy, but, I mean, still, dream team. And the platform Victoria ran on was way ahead of its time. I mean, essentially, she just wanted the government to, like, not be a dickhole to people depending on their gender and race. Like, how hard is that? But, shit, we're still having issues with that here in the United States. And, like, she also advocated for legal sex work. And that's something that we still have not made happen in this country. So her bluntness, you know, the way she talked about sex and race and religion, it, it was in a manner that really bothered people and still bothers people today. Fortunately, things really hit the fan for her just days before the 1872 November election. One person that Victoria had pissed off a lot was a Brooklyn minister. And he used his pulpit to blast Victoria's ideas on sex and marriage, which, to be clear, what Victoria advocated for was the right for consenting adults to consent to who to have consensual sex with. No big deal right there. Three days before the election, Victoria and her family published an expose of an alleged affair the minister was having with one of his married parishioners. Yeah. Now, she did not shame him for his cheating, but of being a hypocrite. Yeah, things got really salty after that. Uh, Victoria and her husband, they were arrested on charges of mailing and publishing indecent material, and they spent election day in jail. After seven months, they were finally found not guilty, but had to dish out the equivalent of half a million dollars in all the legal fees. And for opponents of the first woman to run for president, it was the perfect opportunity to trash her reputation. And after that, Victoria's national reputation, like, did not bounce back. And it's shitty because, like we've seen in recent years, people are particularly nasty to women candidates. 
And Victoria got her fair share of being called a witch. And I mean, national publications even straight up called her Satan himself. Like, people are goddamn assholes. Four years after a presidential run, she's 38, it's 1876, things are a little rocky for Victoria. Vanderbilt's funding came to an end. He died. Uh, she divorces Colonel Blood. The newspaper came to an end. And a year later, Victoria and her sister moved out of the United States to London. They were just like, we just need to hit the reset button. It's here that she remarries. And this guy's name is not as cool as Colonel Blood. It's John Martin. I mean, he's still a pretty okay guy. His family, though, did not want him marrying an American divorcee. I mean, there he was. He's Oxford educated and the son to a very wealthy, very proper English family. But that didn't stop them from marrying. They were together for 14 years before he passed away in 1901. And while in England, Victoria and her sister, they used to have the chance to switch gears. They were both still really active in dedicating themselves to women's rights, but not so much in the political sphere like they had been in the States. You know, instead, they're working within high society. They become well-known for their terrible giving. And Victoria's writing. She's publishing her own books. She's co-writing a magazine with her daughter, which, by the way, in all my research, that was the only other mention of one of her children. That's it. No idea about her son or anything. And after her non-cool named husband passed away, Victoria spent the rest of her years living on a, okay, get this, 1,200 acre family estate place is huge so she spent like her final days as a wealthy widow as a very wealthy widow and she was even one of the first women in england to own a car and it wasn't until 1927 at the age of 88 she finally passed away she did live long enough to see american white women gain the right to vote in 1920 talk about a rags to riches story it's like a doozy now like, I wish I could say that Victoria Woodhull's run for presidency paved the way for women. It was a start, but it took over 100 years after her run for a serious contender for a major party nomination to come up who happened to not be male. And it was almost another 50 for a woman to win the popular vote in the 2016 election, which I'm still salty about. Now, the shittiest thing about learning about Victoria was just how little things have changed in almost 150 years since her run. Only upside is the strides that we're kind of making with the Democratic Party. You know, this year we've had six women presidential contenders, which is something. Always room for improvement. So yeah, that is Victoria Woodhull, the first woman to run for presidency here in the United States of America, who got completely... Okay, so she got screwed over. I mean, it was a tough game to begin with. It's one she wasn't going to win, but she tried, and she did it, and that's what matters. So, uh, depressing. Still can't say that we've since had a woman president, but eh, here we are. Maybe next election cycle. Oh my goodness. Okay. So as always, if you guys have made it this far, I really appreciate it. And I super appreciate it today because I'm just on my own. But with the threat of cookies, I'm pretty sure Milan is going to be back next episode because my grandma makes some pretty bitching cookies. So, as always, if you guys want to see a little bit about Victoria Woodhall this episode, you can check out our website at myfavoritefeminist.com. Uh, you can see show notes there. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram. You know the deal. You're listening to us already. Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, whatever. We're here for you. Until next time, guys.
you for your patience.